welcome to episode 30 of the Security Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated security business sector. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Security Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Security Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham from the 30th of April until the 2nd of May 2024. Security Matters is once again serving as the lead media partner for the exhibition. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. The government has recently opened a six-week consultation process on new laws designed to make sure the nation is better prepared for and also protected from terrorist attacks. The new laws will scale up preparedness for acts of terrorism, making sure members of the public are protected without placing unnecessary burdens on smaller businesses. Martin's Law, in the shape of the Terrorism Protection of Premises Bill, will require premises to fulfil necessary but proportionate steps according to their capacity in order to help keep the public safe. The legislation, of course, is named in tribute to Martin Hett, who was killed alongside 21 others in the Manchester Arena terror attack of 2017. Under the proposed law, premises will be considered standard tier where there's a capacity of between 100 and 799 people or enhanced tier for those venues where there's the potential for a capacity of 800+. plus. The consultation on the updated approach to standard tier venues seeks views to make sure the new requirements do not place undue burdens on smaller businesses while still protecting members of the public. The consultation procedure itself is open to the public until 18th of March. In particular, views are being sought from those responsible for smaller premises and especially so those operating in the community and voluntary sectors. As set out in the consultation, the updated requirements for smaller businesses are centred around outcomes rather than processes. For example, it will remove the requirement to complete any specific terrorism training. Instead, those responsible for these premises will be asked to put in place procedures such as evacuation and lock-ins in the event of an attack. The new, reasonably practicable approach is, according to the government, better suited to the wide range of organisations resident within the scope of standard tier, because they assess and implement procedures that are suitable to their individual circumstances. The government has stated that a Martin law regulator will be established to monitor compliance and also advise the managers of premises within scope of the legislation. Premises within standard tier will be required to notify the regulator that they are within the scope of this legislation. Following the conclusion of the consultation process, the Terrorism Protection of Premises Bill will be introduced as soon as parliamentary time allows. Security Minister Tom Tugendat has commented, I want to make sure that our proposals are balanced and proportionate. That's why our updated approach is easy to implement and better tailored to individual businesses. I would encourage those presiding over smaller premises to share their feedback on these crucial changes. That feedback will help to ensure that Martin's Law stands the test of time. Our first guest on episode 30 is Barry Millett, Director of Special Projects and Industry Engagement at Mighty Security. A former Royal Marine, Barry is a specialist in the field of security resilience strategy, having worked for international organisations including GE and E.ON. Across the years, Barry has fashioned bespoke security solutions in a range of sectors, among them finance and telecoms. Importantly, Barry was an early adopter of the Convergence Agenda that brings together cyber and physical security programmes. An honorary Life Vice President of ASIS International's UK chapter, Barry joined Mighty back in April 2020. During our interview, Barry looks at career paths for today's professionals and also the roadmap for the sector in the immediate future. Thank you very much for joining us on the Security Matters podcast, Barry. Uh, You've been resident in the security sector for several years now, of course. And on that basis, how would you sum up the key parts of your journey to date? Uh, Thank you, Brian, for for having me on your your podcast first. So I I guess varied, challenging, rewarding, and and I guess more importantly, uh, everyday uh, lights a fire in my, my body. So that's enabled me to to really embrace the sector and and the work that I do and it, it it's 
it's not really a job, Brian, getting up every every day. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy w- what I, what I'm doing. And I guess, you know, the Royal Marines uh, gave me a, an incredible foundation to start off with. And, and, I, and I still live uh, the commando spirit now, uh, which is courage, determination, unselfishness. And uh, one of the key ones, which I know a lot of people always comment on, is cheerful, cheerfulness in uh, the face of ad- adversity. And, and I've I've really used that that as a as a foundation, Brian, in in everything that I, I do. And, and I still use it as a as a foundation now, both in in my private life, but also um, in, in work as 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 well. And that's really helped me to, to grow in various roles from consulting when I, I left the core uh, through to leading security and resilience teams in, in multinational uh, organisations. And that, that really enabled me to help organisations face up to key challenges. I remember uh, early days in, in GE when there was a, a number of of terrorist incidents, both uh, in the UK and uh, across across the globe as as well. Sort of my grounding in the Royal Marines and and having that ability of courage uh, and also cheerfulness in in adversity helped me to uh, enable those leadership teams to come through those challenging times. And I guess. Uh, also assisting in getting uh, the trust of those those leadership teams to uh, buy into uh, the security programs that um, that that I delivered uh, developed over over the years and I've always had a thirst to to grow whether that's developing my my leadership style uh, at an early stage uh, and recognizing the need to utilize others to help you grow so engaging a, a leadership and, and development coach to to give me a totally different perspective uh, on on life and also the tools uh, to be able to grow myself uh, and make a difference in the in the the communities that I, that I supported but also I think Brian it, it it's also enabled me to support others to grow as as well both in my teams uh, that I've led over, over the years, but also in the associations that I've belonged to, uh, such as uh, ACES International, uh, because I, I think, you know, helping others to grow and go along the journey with you sort of brings a little bit more richness into uh, into your life as, as well. So, yeah, so very challenging, uh, rewarding uh, and definitely still lights a fire in my body now. And what do you believe to be the key challenges for those individuals making the transition from the military to the corporate world? And what single piece of advice would you offer them? Yeah, I think uh, those that have been uh, have, have found it challenging uh, in the transition, and it, it, Brian, it really is challenging moving from a, a regimented lifestyle uh, in whatever force that that you belong to into to the the civilian world it ca- can be and 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 is very challenging but i think not preparing and realizing life is really different uh, in the corporate role uh, a corporate world is a, is a big challenge for for some but also not recognizing that they have some great transferable skills 
that corporate organisations are, are hungry for as, as well. And I believe those that who have transitioned successfully um, have done so by seeking out a, a mentor or coach that has perhaps gone on that journey previously as well. And we've all made mistakes along the way. And, and if you know people like myself can coach and mentor people uh, and make them aware of some of the pitfalls, but also give them the tools to be uh, successful, I think, uh, you know, these people have some fantastic uh, second careers uh, ahead of them. But yeah, making sure that they prepare uh, and realising life uh, is uh, really different uh, is is one of the key challenges that they'll have to overcome, but also making sure that they recognise that they do have some key transferable skills as well. How important do you think it is for the security sector to attract entry-level individuals who can then build a long-term career? Sometimes people view entry-level roles as a a last choice uh, rather than uh, a start to a career. And there are lots of examples. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those examples where if you're willing to really go all in and you can develop a, a successful career. Look, I, I left school with two O-levels, art and metalwork, no degree, but a belief that I could make uh, a success in, in the security sector. And I believe that the sector needs to provide more insights and opportunities to draw in those entry level uh, individuals. So really celebrating key successes within the sector and, and really outlining those different career paths uh, that people could undertake uh, in the sector and showing some case studies as well, um, where, where they can actually see and believe that, that the security sector is a, a really good uh, sector to, um, to, to, to work in. We need to recognise that we definitely need to um, attract uh, people for long term career and, and not as a, as a, as a job of, of last choice. And on that note, Barry, what do you feel the security sector needs to do in order to attract more talented individuals to its ranks and also ensure that talent is then retained? Look, there's there's lots of lots of different initiatives um, that are, are working in isolation. Um, but I think we need to drive forward initiatives such as uh, those being developed by the skills board uh, to ensure a comprehensive, accessible uh, and consistent framework of learning is available in the security sector uh, and people are aware of it as well. Providing a, a pathway for private security career development and developing and de demonstrating real growth opportunities for, for individuals. And, and then I think ensure that those various security associations provide a true platform for up and coming talent to thrive and also a platform for them to be um, to be heard. As I mentioned, there's a number of, of, of individual initiatives uh, out out there now. And another one is the the professional security operative apprenticeship scheme uh, that has been launched this this year. And I think is a, a great step forward in providing a route for those wanting to join the sector. But also, more importantly, it gives some additional uh, opportunities for, for those that are already in the sector uh, wanting to uh, progress their, their individual 
development. But I think, you know, organisations must embrace and also promote these initiatives uh, a little bit more than they they are at at the moment uh, and also go all in to make sure that they're they're, they're a success. Look, Brian, you know, we, we, we had caught up probably must be four years, four or five years ago now when I uh, had a role uh, in Birmingham. In that role, managed to uh, attract two school leavers uh, into an apprenticeship scheme that we were developing in that organisation, specifically uh, with a bias on uh, cyber security. But those individuals really embraced that opportunity uh, and, and I still keep in touch with them periodically now. And they're still growing and being successful as, as individuals. So I think apprenticeship schemes where we all get behind, we all put a lot of effort and drive to make sure that they're successful can provide a huge platform for people leaving school to develop themselves as individuals, but also develop in the in the security sector. And we need that, Brian. In your opinion, Barry, what's the immediate roadmap for the security sector? And also, what might it look like in, say, five years time? Well, I think, as I, I've just highlighted, look, we need to successfully deliver uh, those initiatives uh, that I've just highlighted and and under a, num- a number of uh, others as as well. We need to come together and ensure the government lands Martin's Law uh, with minimal uh, amendments. Uh, and we need to do as much as we can to drive forward collaboration across the, the se- security sector, but also um, making sure that that collaboration grows uh, in the public and private spaces as well. And we need to step forward and support police forces with non-warranted activities. There's more that the sector can do uh, to free up uh, police officers to to go about um, those more specialised warranted uh, activities as, as well. If the sector does these things and more, I totally believe that the security sector will take pride of place in ensuring our communities are safe and able to withstand some really key challenges uh, that I believe will continue to materialise over over the com- coming year- years, uh, to be honest. And Brian, I think failure is not an option. I think um, society is going to go through some incredible challenges going forward uh, and the sector needs to step up and, and help uh, our communities uh, face up to those challenges. And what legacy would you like to leave behind as a security professional yourself? I've always battled with self-limiting beliefs that that perhaps I'm I, I'm not able to do something or I'm not worthy of, of what I'm doing now and, and I always remember Catherine uh, always saying to me I could do more and when I was at a, a crossroads uh, in in sort of transitioning uh, out of sort of Royal Marine stroke consultancy work into to corporate life I used to say to Catherine that I'm not corporate enough uh, to be successful uh, but then you know she coached me through it. She worked for 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 Mars at the time, a, a, a big American organisation, uh, and I managed to uh, to land a job with with GE. But yeah, I, you know, even today, I've, I I sometimes have to continue to to try and break down some of those self uh, self limiting beliefs. To be honest, uh, legacy. 
I guess anything is possible if you put your mind to it. And, and I think I've I've demonstrated that over, over, over the years and I'll, I'll continue to to do that. I've I think I've come from humble beginnings and, and have carved out uh, a successful career. Uh, but I've done that always with the, the thought that I put my family first as, as well, Brian, and, and my family has, has enabled me to, to continue to, to drive forward and, and be, be successful. Uh, and I hope that I've played some small part in developing people uh, and enabling the sector to be seen as a, a career of choice and not last resort. I think that's the key thing that I, I want to pay a big part on uh, and, and provide as a as a bit of a, a legacy when I eventually uh, hang up my gloves, so to speak. Nicholas Whiting, the head of alarm signaling solutions provider BT Redcare, has informed the security market, i.e. security installation businesses and alarm receiving centre operators, of BT's difficult decision to close all BT Redcare operations on the 1st of August 2025. Announced on the 1st of February, the move has been driven by a new strategy focused on reducing product variants and the desire to invest in those core products and services that will deliver for the customer base. In a formal communication to interested parties, Whiting explained, We will, of course, continue to meet our commitments to provide services for orders already placed, but please take this as formal notice that your agreement with us, including all orders placed for the provision of BT Red Care services, will terminate on the 1st of August 2025, or earlier, if your services are contractually due to expire before then, or if you migrate your services away from BT Red Care before the 1st of August 2025. Whiting fully appreciates that this will not be welcome news, which is precisely why there's a stated desire to afford impacted parties of the cut-off date as soon as possible. On the basis that it will take time for Redcare users to find an alternative service provider, BT will continue to accept orders up to and including the 29th of February this year, but that's on the express condition that no services will continue to be provided beyond 1st of August 2025. Installers and alarm receiving centre operators will now need to consider moving all of their customers using BT Redcare services to an alternative service provider by no later than 1st of August 2025. To assist with that process, BT will waive any early termination charges from the 1st of March 2024 for all orders already placed before the 1st of February this year and where BT Redcare services are already being provided. In terms of ordering replacement equipment or devices moving forward, the advice given by BT is to telephone 0800 800 628, that's 0800 800 628, and look for option 3. Critical connectivity solutions provider CSL issued an immediate response to the Redcare news on the 2nd of February. Company explained, We are working to finalise the details of our plan to ensure we can support all impacted installers and alarm receiving centres, many of whom are existing CSL partners. We are firmly committed to extending our current operation to ensure the alarm signalling ecosystem continues to receive the highest levels of service and support, and also that end users are not negatively impacted by these changes. Further, CSL noted, we are currently reviewing our stock management processes alongside our supplier partners to ensure that we can adjust our plans in order to deal with an increase in demand. We would encourage installers to review their engineer resources and processes around performing any required upgrades as part of a structured programme alongside maintenance visits. Additionally, CSL is actively working with industry stakeholders including the British Security Industry Association, the National Security Inspectorate and also the Security Systems and Alarms Inspection Board, really providing assurances to these bodies that the company is doing everything it can to offer a solution to this industry situation. In conclusion, the statement on CSL's website reads, We will provide further updates on our plans in due course. Indeed, the BSIA has also issued a statement on its LinkedIn page. 
In response to BT Redcare's recent announcement that it will be closing its signalling service by August 2025, the BSIA, working with its members, is currently assessing the potential impact and implications of this decision. In the forthcoming days, we will be deciding upon which course of action the Trade Association will take on behalf of its affected members. The statement continues, In the interim, we hope to reassure our members that we will provide relevant updates when we can, and also express our concern on how this decision will impact upon those at Redcare who provided these services for 30 years. Finally, the BSIA has said, We will also be actively working with our industry stakeholders and will provide regular updates to the wider industry and relevant parties on any appropriate action we determine to pursue. Our next guest on this edition is Howard Lang, the recently appointed President and CEO at Gunibur Entrance Control. Howard joined the business from Johnson Controls Itachi Air Conditioning, where he served as Head of Global Sales and Marketing. In times past, Howard has also held senior positions at the Salzer Corporation and Hilti AG. A graduate in civil engineering from Leeds University and also the holder of a marketing degree from Hull University, Howard is a member of the Gunibo Group executive team and currently tasked with driving growth in line with company strategy. On this occasion, Howard covers numerous topics, including connected gate solutions and the evolution of entrance control technology. Welcome to the podcast, Howard. In the era of smart buildings, how do connected gates redefine the landscape of entrance control and what role do they play in enhancing overall security, in your opinion? Well, all Gunnabo gates now are internet ready, which uh, offers users new possibilities you know, through our cloud solutions. And that's something that's already standard in uh, in the airport gate world. Um, and we, now we can bring those you know those same same benefits to the commercial buildings uh, area and other sectors. So that you know technology allows users really to um, well it allows real time monitoring. Uh, so security personnel can monitor and respond to suspicious activity or uh, unusual patterns. Uh, it also allows remote control. So uh, quick response, you know, to uh, incidents or, um, you know, to make changes in security protocols. That's very useful, actually, for for large or or multi-location buildings Um, and also allows an improvement of the service quality. So allows the service provider, uh, in most cases, that's that's us for our equipment uh, to be proactive. So, um, you know, with preventative maintenance and rapid response, you know, to keep the uh, the uptime high. And I think uh, maybe a, a further area is on uh, energy uh, efficiency. So, um, you know, this connectivity um, allows us also to connect with building management systems, BMS. And so you can also influence the, um, you know, the HVAC lighting based on occupancy because uh, the entrance gates give a, a much simpler uh, and reliable um, occupancy measure than, than any array of room sensors can do. So I think there's, you know, there's quite a lot of capability that um, now, you know, bringing data out of these gates and, and combining it with smart systems in, in buildings can be really valuable. And with connected gates providing valuable data on people flow and diagnostics, how does Gunnibo Entrance Control leverage this information to enhance the efficiency and security of entrances? Well, the, the information can be leveraged in, in many ways. Um, first of all, I would point to you know, multi-site support. So many, many uh, of our customers you know, operate multiple sites, multiple locations. So the data can be aggregated you know, for centralized uh, monitoring. Um, you can leverage it also for, for insights, for um, you know, efficient resource allocation, looking at traffic patterns, occupancy levels, 
and, and um, you know, making use out of those insights. Monitoring uh, occupancy and, and controlling the occupancy is also important. You know, if uh, if certain areas are um, are overcrowded, you can even uh, block the entrance. And I think you know um, another area is uh, is en- enhancing the user experience. Um, so identifying where there are particular bottlenecks and uh, and modifying the flow of the of the entrances uh, accordingly. And as as we uh, get more and more usage data out of the out of the gates the ability to to do predictive maintenance increases so um, we're already getting you know quite a lot of notifications alarms already out of uh, out of the products which is very helpful for preventative maintenance but um, there's still still way to go to get towards uh, even predictive maintenance now plug and play solutions are often associated with flexibility and also ease of installation how does Gnabu cater for the needs of small buildings in turn ensuring a seamless integration of entrance control systems well, there's, we, we see a definite trend towards securing entrances for uh, for single floors or smaller offices, you know, areas which maybe weren't weren't protected before. As users, you know, they want more flexible office space. They want to replace receptionists or guards to enhance the the protection, um, enhancing the security to make staff feel more secure or part of an information security certification process, or to uh, to stop tailgating. I mean, regular doors, you know. T- tailgating through the doors people following people through open doors you know is is a, is a problem also in smaller smaller locations so what we see in smaller for these smaller projects that um, you know end users and integrators are looking really to simplify our office here in the UK is a good example. We have a, um, you know, speed gates at our entrance with a, uh, a facial recognition system actually on the gate. So it's very fast. We register users right there. It's simple to use. Um, and we see, uh, you know, a growing demand for those kind of plug and play uh, solutions where we're able to integrate already the uh, different types of readers and, and deliver the, the product, you know, with the you know, f- fully integrated with a, um, with a with a reader system as well. With the rising challenges posed by climb over and push through attempts, Howard, could you highlight the high security features integrated within your entrance control solutions to address these concerns? Gunnabo is a security company and we, we pride ourselves on providing really security products to keep people safe. So not just for decoration of the lobby, which, um, you know, gates which can be stepped over or, or pushed open. So there are many secu- uh, important security features in addition to what you call the core uh, security of detection and making sure, you know, there's only one validated person passing. So the anti-tailgating uh, detection. Uh, but on top of that, we've got, you know, a number of, uh, of systems to prevent people climbing over. So ranging from climb over detection where, you know, we can attempt, we can detect people climbing onto the gates. Uh, we can also detect that they've actually climbed over and not just attempted to to climb over. So uh, alarm accordingly. Um, we can also, we have, you know, a number of systems to prevent gates being pushed open or forced open, locks on those gates and, um, and uh, you know, detection of, of those kind of attempts. We also offer a, a full panel sliding speed gate for, for a higher security level. Um, obviously, it's much more difficult to force open a, uh, a sliding gate rather than push through more a, a swing type gate. So they do offer a, a higher level of protection. They close faster after the passage of a person. So it also offers a higher tailgating protection. Uh, so where security is really important, 
our advice is, is normally to use the, the full panel sliding uh, speed gate. And all our gates have uh, have protection for crawling under. So, um, you know, the gap between the gate and the floor to stop those kind of attempts uh, and, uh, and and sensors as well to, to stop that. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, lot of features. And for really high security, um, we also offer security revolving doors and, and portals which really eliminate um, all possibilities of, of fraud, uh, tailgating, climb over, crawl under, and even you know with attack resistance as well up to an RC4 level to protect against attack. Historic buildings often present somewhat unique challenges in terms of integrating modern security without compromising an architectural integrity. What's the process for tailoring security solutions to historically unprotected environments, Howard? Well, aesthetics uh, are important. So our products are architectural products as well as security solutions. And we, we have a lot of experience in adding those that kind of protection to historical buildings, big government buildings, museums, uh, institutions, where there's also a need to, to customise to the interior design. So we work very closely with with architects and designers and, and have a number of uh, coatings, custom materials, bronze, etching on the glass, these kind of things. And the uh, the flexibility in our manufacturing uh, facilities to cope with this kind of customizing. Um, what we also uh, offer is uh, we use virtual reality tools, um, which produce a render on site um, as you're looking at the uh, at the location to see, visualize really how the solution can look, and we can change that. Uh, so that's very useful for for visualizing the you know the architectural impact of uh, of the products. And then in addition, you know we've got a number of um, of innovative solutions to cabling because cabling is often a topic where you want to install something in a historic building. You don't want to damage the existing floor. So historic buildings really are uh, an important segment for us. We do a lot of, uh, of of projects in this space, and you know. There are a lot of buildings which are previously considered as kind of open to the public, which on reassessment, um, you know, do need some some entrance security protection. And certainly environments, as you said there, Howard, are evolving to require enhanced security. How does Gunnibur Entrance Control identify and address these emerging security segments? Could you perhaps share some examples of successful implementations in such dynamic environments for us? Yeah, no, it's re- really encouraging to see solutions like ours for uh, securing people flow. Uh, used in segments which were were previously unprotected or reliant on guards um, and obviously exposed to you know tailgating maybe through an open door uh, for example um, hospitals schools uh, universities you know we're doing a, a number of uh, of very large projects actually in this area to to upgrade the security of uh, of those kind of buildings um, hospitals are a good example you know a lot of hospitals are are quite open including many uh, sensitive areas and, and many exposed areas. So as you know, risk assessments strengthen, security awareness strengthens. We are, a, a, you know, there are new segments actually um, uh, growing for for our products. Uh, another interesting area actually is uh, is retail. You know, strengthening protection against uh, shoplifting and and even invasion and uh, and paid access. So even for restrooms. Um, and these systems have a very rapid payback if you think about highway service stations, fast food chains adopting that as well. Yeah, so um, a lot of new segments actually emerging for, um, for our kind of products. And how do you feel the evolution of entrance control technology has aligned with the changing needs and expectations of the company's diverse customer base, Howard? Well, Gunnabo has the advantage of being the, the industry leader and we, you know, we operate with production facilities in, in all continents. Um, so we keep our eyes and ears very much open, talk to a lot of customers every day. And there's some certainly some very interesting common themes and uh, regional trends 
in terms of customer requirements, which we we pick up on and uh, and obviously adapt to. Um, several examples I would point to. I mean, first of all, and we talked about it before, the the general trend towards higher security. I think particularly driven by more instability, uh, uh, unrest globally, and a heightened focus on information security and the role that physical security has in this. So we we, we see demand for products with, a, I would say, a real security capability rather than more a um, decorative element in the in the lobby. And and global customers really setting meaningful security standards across all their facilities, specifying you know, higher security uh, features like we talked about before, right? Climb over protection, um, you know, um, increased barrier height, et cetera. I think the, secure, the shortage of guards and receptionists, gate agents in airports, again, is, uh, you know, is pushing the need for higher automation levels, higher security levels, so less uh, supervision, another trend that we, you know, we, we clearly see, as well as um, ease of use. So customers are looking for you know better visual guidance uh, to increase the flow rate of uh, of users going through gates. So showing them which lanes to approach, where to to badge, etc. So you'll see some new products coming from Gunnabo with very cool features that react to people as they approach and and, and guide them. And um, you know I think the uh, the last trend I would point to is the importance of service capability, particularly to conduct uh, regular safety inspections to do preventative maintenance obviously to to avoid any risk of uh, blocking access and uh, and to have you know rapid response from an expert technician from the actual manufacturer so this is an area where where we already stand out and where we're further investing in what ways does a business collaborate with industry partners to anticipate future security needs and also devise smart solutions well, we recognize that uh, security is a team effort. It involves building owners, tenants, their advisors, like security consultants, uh, facility management, integrators, contractors, and uh, obviously the, the technology and service providers like ourselves. So it's uh, it's always, almost always a team effort. And that sense, you know, collaboration is in our DNA. It's the nature of the of the business. So we, we collaborate uh, first and foremost with our end-user customers, advising them on uh, product selection, integration, customizing, and the overall security concept. Uh, and also, you know, I, I think a key interface is our products with the access control system. So um, from an integration point of view, we're, we're agnostic to the to the type of reader or the access control system. And, um, you know, being system neutral gives us an advantage, I think, against a number of competitors who, who push their own system. Uh, integration, uh, you know, can be done uh, very easily and and uh, and, uh, and even through uh, through software integration. And I think in addition to that, you know, we work with a quite a number of technology companies, universities, institutes on technology, the latest technology for sensing, AI software, safety systems, really to ensure that we stay ahead and we can really leverage the latest technology for the benefit uh, of, of customers. I think it's still a, a fascinating technology field and um, many interesting new possibilities, actually, through technology to uh, to make these these products even better, even stronger. And given that the security landscape is continually evolving, Howard, what trends do you foresee in the entrance control sector and how is Gunnibo poised to remain at the forefront of this progression? Well, I think we've we've already talked about a number of of uh, industry trends. I think one final one to point to is the growing acceptance of biometrics 
for for access control versus cards. I mean, cards get lost. They're expensive, surprisingly difficult, actually, to manage for visitors. So we're doing um, quite a number of upgrade projects you know, to move from cards to touchless fingerprint readers and, and modifying our gates accordingly. Um, so this and with um, with NFC or using the phones as the as the ID, I think will definitely become more more prevalent. And uh, the latest systems are very fast to respond. And combined with a, a Gunnabo gate, they offer a great uh, user experience. The British Retail Consortium's Retail Crime Survey for 2022-2023 highlights that the cost of retail theft has doubled to £1.8 billion, with upwards of 45,000 incidents occurring every day. Violence and abuse against retail workers has soared by 50%. The number of incidents, in fact, rose to 1,300 per day during the survey period, from almost 870 the year before. According to the BRC, this prevailing situation is now a crisis that demands action. These worrying figures emerge despite retailers having invested heavily in crime prevention, spending no less than £1.2 billion on measures such as CCTV, increased numbers of security personnel and the introduction of body-worn cameras. Overall spend on security measures is up from £722 million when compared to the previous review period. Further, the aforementioned total cost of theft to retailers escalating to £1.8 billion from £953 million the previous year effectively means that the total cost of crime to retailers now stands at no less than £3.3 billion. That's double the previous year's figure. The BRC's annual retail crime survey highlights the scale of violence and abuse faced by individuals working in the sector. Incidents including racial abuse, sexual harassment, physical assault and threats with weapons are now on a par with the levels witnessed during the COVID-19 pandemic. During that period, retail staff bore the brunt of frustrations with COVID-related safety measures put in place by the government. While the total number of incidents climbed, dissatisfaction with the police service has increased. 60% of survey respondents have described the police service response to incidents as either poor or very poor in nature. Retailers are now calling on the government to introduce a standalone offence of assaulting, threatening or abusing a retail worker. This would send a clear message that such forms of behaviour will not be tolerated, in turn making retail personnel feel safer in the workplace. It would also mean the police service can call upon collated data that allows them to understand the scale of the issue and then allocate sufficient resources to deal with it. This would ensure that retail workers have the same protections under the law as they do in Scotland, where a similar offence was introduced back in 2021. Helen Dickinson, OBE, CEO of the BRC, has said, Despite retailers investing huge sums of money in crime prevention, violence and abuse against retail workers is climbing. With over 1,300 incidents every day, government can no longer ignore the plight of ordinary hard-working retail colleagues, including teenagers taking on their first job, carers looking for part-time work, or parents working around childcare arrangements. While the violence can be over in a moment, the victims carry these experiences with them for a lifetime. We all know the impact doesn't stop there either. It affects their colleagues, friends and their families, whom they go home to every day and night. This is a crisis that demands action now. Dickinson added, Criminals are being given a free pass to steal goods and abuse and assault retail colleagues. No one should have to go to work fearing for their safety. The Protection of Workers Act in Scotland already provides additional protection for retail staff, so why should our hard-working colleagues south of the border be offered less protection? It's absolutely vital that government takes action and brings forward the new standalone offence of assaulting or abusing a retail worker. Katie Bourne, OBE, Police and Crime Commissioner for Sussex and the Association of Police and Crime Commissioners Lead on Business Crime, observed, The levels of retail crime described in this report reveal an unprecedented level of selfish lawlessness. Every day, retail staff are facing the consequences of shoplifters' brazen behaviour. 
That's precisely why I have supported the call for a specific offence of assault on a shop worker. Vaughan concluded, Our courts need to work more efficiently and shoplifters need to be deterred from re-offending. My fellow police and crime commissioners must focus their police forces on tackling shoplifting by making it a priority in their local police and crime plans. Jason Towles, Managing Director for Business Services at Mighty, has issued detailed comments on the BRC's latest retail crime survey results. The new figures show there are now 1,300 violent and abusive incidents against shop workers per day, asserted Towles, which is up from 837 in the previous year. Over the course of the year, that's 475,000 individuals who faced physical or psychological harm just by going to work. This is beyond unacceptable. Towers went on to state, Nobody should be faced with violence at work. The proposed amendment to the Criminal Justice Bill that would introduce a standalone offence of assaulting, threatening or abusing a retail worker must be supported as a clear signal that violence will not be tolerated. According to Towers, amending the Criminal Justice Bill alone is just one element in a package of solutions. With multiple drivers for retail crime, he said, we need a consistent and multi-layered approach to stamp it out. Criminals are constantly evolving their techniques. As such, it follows that the retail industry must do the same if it's to gain the over offenders. A new initiative launched late last year, Pegasus brings together a powerful combination of industry-leading technology with highly trained specialists. Through Pegasus, the sharing of anonymized information between 13 retailers, including Boots, Marks & Spencer and the Co-op, is already starting to build a bigger picture of retail crime across the UK. Crime hotspots and patterns can be mapped and valuable data provided for the police service. An organized crime gang, for example, can be tracked from Liverpool to Leicester and on to Landudno. In conclusion, Towers affirmed, for retailers, the security industry, the police and the government, it's important that we continue to collaborate in order to fight retail crime. Otherwise, we'll surely find ourselves looking at a further increase over the next 12 months. We cannot let that happen. Our retail workers and their families deserve far better. Shoplifting is not a victimless crime. Our final guest on episode 30 is Rick Martin, the CEO of Pinnacle Systems, the specialist provider of an open integration platform for the electronic security market. Formerly the lead engineer and security manager at Century International, Rick has also served as technical and operations manager for Century Secure. A member of the Security Institute, Rick began his current role at Pinnacle Systems in July 2022. The company's core mission is keenly focused on developing an open, multi-site integration system, complete with a centralised fault management platform that's truly versatile, adaptable and effective. In tandem with offering an overview of the business, Rick covers Internet of Things and cloud technology and also concentrates on key trends that are shaping the security industry at present. Welcome to the Security Matters podcast, Rick. First of all, could you provide a brief overview of Pinnacle Systems as a business and also outline the company's core values and mission statement? Uh, yeah, so uh, Pinnacle Systems, uh, we're a new form of technology coming to the security market. We're, we're a blend between a PSM and alarm monitoring software. What I mean by that is we, we're a hybrid solution. So we have an on-prem server and client running, which is talking to all, all your hardware on site. Um, so we're, we're capturing all the real-time data. But we're also lifting it up to uh, the cloud as well. So we can push alarms and faults and things up to the cloud portal. So people have got multi-sites. Um, they can monitor and control all the sites. So you kind of get a bit of best of both worlds from that. I mean, our main focus is around real-time data and connecting that data together. And I'd say our mission, there's lots of really good products and solutions out there in the market. You know, not just CCTV, Intruder, Fire. You know, I'm talking about you know, like face tech, um, you know, face recognition technologies, IoT sensors, um, you know, perimeter systems. 
So we're looking to bring all these solutions together into one place um, and really start connecting all these different data points together to hopefully you know, improve safety, security um, and bring more of a focus onto what's actually going on. I'd say our vision is to build like a like a digital ecosystem that's bringing all this technology together, but you know in a very simple, easy manner. Because you know, there are solutions out there, but you know some of them can be quite complicated and they quite a lot of training, and we kind of want to move away from that. So um, you know, just people can just you know improve safety, security, and hopefully start bringing ROI for you, know, like loss prevention, efficient resourcing. And even start looking sort of, you know, like energy saving solutions and things like that, because we are, you know, our product is is always listening, I'd say, one of the main one of the main points. And Pinnacle Systems wants to be known as an open integration platform. How does the company intend to build on its existing integration partner relationships? And can you share any detail on recent advancements in this area? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, we're all about relationships and we've spent quite a bit of time speaking to manufacturers um, over the last uh, 18 months, two years. And that's not just with um, you know, core systems like CCTV, Access Intruder and Fire. We've been speaking to, um, again, like I say, with, with, with you know, face recognition systems, uh, smoke generation systems. Yeah, everyone seems quite open to what we're doing and you know, the availability of SDKs and APIs you know, makes our product viable because you know, everyone wants, wants this connected sort of solution. So we're just going to continue doing that. Uh, and in terms of sort of recent advancements and developments, um, and one of the things we've recently done, which is which we, we, you know, was pretty cool actually, is uh, vape detection. So with the schools, I think that's quite a big problem at the minute. So we've integrated vape detection unit with an installer we're working with. We've also done um, some integration with shelf detection in the retail market with another installer. One of the fog generators turned up, just put that onto the wall. So we want to keep on with the core stuff, but having a focus on the more specialist and more, more obscure systems, uh, I think is something we're going to be concentrating quite a lot over next year. How is Pinnacle Systems navigating the ever-evolving landscape of security, inclusive of the Internet of Things and also cloud technology? We're trying to keep this product very, very versatile. Rather than being completely security focused, we want people to be able to come in and just plug into the system, whatever they want. You know, it could be uh, refrigeration monitoring or you know, like an industrial conveyor belt fault system or something. Someone to be able to come along do the integration, plug it into the system, and then all of a sudden that, that's into our kind of ecosystem. Yeah, we can generate alarms from that. We can start linking that through to cameras. All of a sudden it, it becomes more than just a security product. And that's come through, you know, speaking to installers, end users, and just, you know, just listening to their needs. You know, we, we love a conversation over at Pinnacle. You know, rather than just building something saying this is what we've got, go for we're kind of saying look this is where we're at this is where we're going you know what's your ideas what's your concepts and you know we, we found people are um you know very very receptive to that and then with, with the cloud side of things because we are doing a hybrid solution we're kind of getting the best of both worlds on this because you know we've got our on-site solution which is very lightweight you know it runs on a little nook um 16 gig of ram we probably will be down to an appliance uh later on in uh, 2024 but we've got, you know, we're down the ground, but then we've got the cloud solution. So, we've, we've, yeah, we've just got this best of both worlds. We can talk to additional hardware. If the internet's down, everything on site is still going to operate. The internet comes back up. All the data is getting pushed back up. And then from the cloud side, you, you, you can log into the portal. You can go to each site. You can see what's going on real time with mapping, control of the systems. So, again, this is... 
this is why we're quite quite impressed with what we've built. How do you foresee the integration of data and surveillance images driving greater efficiencies in the modern world, Rick? So, I mean, I mean, data is extremely useful. It's it's so important just for decision makings and just just improving things. You know, there's the age old thing: you do something and you should look at analysing it, not just see what's gone wrong, but see what's gone well as you know at the same time, and then that drives you know more improvements and efficiencies. But if we can link this data back through to CCTV images, then all of a sudden it becomes even more important, even more useful because rather than just looking at a load of data points, you can see what was happening at the same time. So whether that's you know looking at you know people counting or you know industrial plant alarms, refrigeration or environmental systems, if you can look at this data and actually look at some cameras, and go, oh, all right, okay, yeah, oh there was a load of people stood there or noise violation on some environmental sensors data. Oh right, there was some you know there's more plant in that area and there should have been so that's kind of like where we're going with uh, with the platform to help you know, you know improve safety and security what trends do you see shaping the industry at the moment and how is pinnacle systems addressing the challenges they realize i mean one, one big thing in a minute is this the you know the, the uprising of ai machine learning i mean this, this is something that's quite sort of close to my heart this, you know, I'm, I'm, i think it's going to you know, change the shape of security you know it's such a powerful thing you know, humans are very good at analysing data and changing stuff with that, but obviously AI machine learning will just, you know, just improve this just vastly. So that's something we are going to be looking to do with Pinnacle. We're already exploring options, and this is where, you know, our capture real-time data uh, is really going to accelerate this for us. You know, we can start looking at, you know, even just from basic points of, um, you know, anomaly detection for faults, you know, just knowing that something, you know, usually is triggering but all of a sudden it's stopped or maybe triggering too much um we can start looking at improving you know sort of safety and security because we can monitor things uh you know the ai can be running and learns what's what's normal well we can also start looking at um uh you know predictive things as well you know how people move through buildings riot predictions there's a whole host of things that i think is going to come out over the next sort of next couple of years with ai machine learning so i'm really really excited about that and it's something that you know us at pinnacle are going to be concentrating on and uh, really trying to push forward. And last but not least, Rick, what's the vision for Pinnacle Systems in its launch year and also in times ahead? I mean, the main thing is we're going to keep listening to people. I'm going to keep integrating. You know, our, our product is, um, uh, we're an integration platform. We haven't got a VMS to worry about. We haven't got an access control system to worry about. All we've got to worry about is doing integrations, doing them well, bringing features, uh, just listening to people. Uh, that it's, got, it's what's got us to the point we are today, and it's something we'll continue. And then in terms of the vision, like I was touching on with the um, the AI and machine learning, yeah, we're just going to be heavily, heavily exploring that through you know, 2024 and, and onwards. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Security Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Barry Minnett of Mighty, Howard Lang from Gunibo, and also Pinnacle Systems CEO Rick Martin for their highly valued contributions. Many thanks also to our podcast sponsor, The Security Event. The Security Event runs from the 30th of April until the 2nd of May 2024 at the NEC in Birmingham. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Don't forget to visit our website at www.securitymattersmagazine.com where you can access all of our podcasts and also read the latest news and opinion from the security business sector. You can view our dedicated features content and also sign up to receive our very popular weekly e-news bulletin. Please do contact us if there are any key themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming editions of the podcast. You can do so on X, formerly Twitter of course, by using the hashtag securitypod. 
On that note, make sure you follow us on X at WBM Sec Matters and access our LinkedIn page at Security Matters Magazine and website. Please do like and share the podcast content and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Security Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. To download the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, all you need to do is enter the term Security Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.